Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Canvas Church. Uh, This morning, I'm excited to share with you uh, what the Lord has laid on my heart from Colossians. Have you all been enjoying this series? Um, I've really been enjoying it. We've had, like he said, some of the staff kind of come and tag team it. And uh, it's been exciting to see the different perspectives on it. And there's really been a theme, if you've noticed, uh, with Colossians. And the theme has been this idea of that we're transformed by God, this transformation and then this sanctification that takes place. And so I get to talk uh, more about that, which is one of my favorite things about our faith and about Christianity, is that I get to talk about Uh, God being the hero of our story. Has anybody ever experienced God coming up and he is the hero of your the story of your life and um, And so I'm excited and so I have actually a large portion of scripture to cover this morning So I'm gonna go uh, chunk by chunk So we're gonna start out and we're gonna read verses uh, 1 through 11 in chapter 3 If you have your Bibles with you or else if you don't it's on the screens as well And then uh, we'll pray and get into it this morning Verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put all of them away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Father, I just thank you for your presence this morning in this place, and I pray that you would use me to communicate your truth, and that you would dig this word deep down into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Like I said, I love this topic topic of God transforming us um, because I myself have experienced this this old self that the scripture is talking about. And Paul is addressing this to the the church in Colossae, and they have experienced that transforming power of Christ. They have experienced God in their life, uh, but what's happening is they're falling back into some old habits. And we have this joke, and the joke is old Melissa. There is an old Melissa that exists. She doesn't come up very often, but uh, the old Melissa, I was in college, and uh, I was really didn't know what I believed, and I uh, was in a philosophy class. And in the philosophy class, this atheist professor of all things wrote on the chalkboard, if you knew there was a God, would you change your life today? And I absolutely, hands down, knew the answer to that question right when he asked it. I knew I would change my life. I knew I would do things different. And uh, I had come from an incredibly broken home. Uh, My mom was actually uh, murdered and uh, kidnapped by a meth dealer. It's a crazy story. And, uh, and, And so I was broken and I was hurting and I didn't know how to process all those things. But I knew that I wanted to figure out if this God out there existed. And so I I began to to search a little bit, and and one thing I knew was that there was this man named Brandon Miller, who was the FCA president, Fellowship of Christian Athletes president, for those of you not familiar with that term, and he was kind of like the student version of the chaplain. And so if anybody had any spiritual questions or questioned about God, you knew that you could go to Brandon Miller because he was the only one in the whole cafeteria who would take off his hat and pray before his meal. 
and s simple things like that, opening up the door for people when they would come in and, and just chatting with the people at the cafeteria. And, and I thought, he's, he's probably the most genuine, nice person that I knew. And much like Katie was drawn to those people that were going to that church, I was very much drawn to him. Um, and, and not in that way. I had a boyfriend at the time, so I wasn't thinking that that way. I had a boyfriend that he played football with. And, and I asked my, my boyfriend, who happened to be a very jealous boyfriend, I said, uh, jealous boyfriend? I said, uh, <laughs> would you mind if I sat down with Brennan Miller and I asked him some questions about God because I just really want to figure out what I believe. And he said, to my surprise, go ahead. He said, Brennan Miller, he's the safest guy around. And so <laughs> we, <laughs> we've been married for nine years now. So, um, <laughs> But I sat down with him and he shared with me his faith and he shared with me that at the age of 16, God had radically transformed his life too. And he extended that invitation to me. And at Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, and, and then at the church the next week, and actually the next week, and the next week, and the next week, because I didn't know that you just could just get saved once. I thought that every time that you sinned, even in your thought life, you had to go up and get saved. So the churches at that time must have thought our salvation numbers are off the charts, but it was just me getting saved over and over and over again. Um, and so... I gave my heart to, to the Lord many times um, over the course of that month until he explained to me that the, 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 the goal is just to do it once like a marriage and then, you know, you can confess to him and, and repent to him if needed. You can go straight to him. And so I experienced a radical transformation. God really got a hold of my life and, and uh, it's exciting to, to see that that old Melissa is such a distant memory. Uh, but we would say, yeah, that's good. Amen. You can clap for that. Um, uh, but we would talk about that, and every time the, the, the old habits and old behaviors and kind of old self would come rising up inside of me, we would joke, oh, the old Melissa's here. And we don't often hear about the old Melissa very much anymore, which is probably a good thing that she's more of a distant memory. But I think some of you in this place can relate to the way that you were before you met Christ. And this is what it's saying, is that you were once this way, and so don't go willingly back to slavery when you've already been set free. Don't willingly go back to these old behaviors and these old habits because you're better than that. You've received a new identity. You've received this new creation in Christ is who you are now. You're a woman of God, a man of God. And it's, it, I love that Paul doesn't just say, hey, you know, you've done such a great job in this process of self-improvement. You've read all the books that I told you to read. And you've meditated. And you're just doing so great in these areas. And I'm so proud of you. He says, no, 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 you're a new person. You're a new creation. Your identity has changed. He doesn't just address the behaviors. He addresses the identity because the behaviors follow, but he affirms your identity in Christ. And so he goes through all this list of things, and these are the things that we don't want. And he goes through this long, grievous list of things like sexual morality, and we look at that and say, oh, we definitely, definitely don't want to go there, you know? Um, but one of the things as I studied this out was, was so fascinating to me as he stops in the midst of this long list of the things that you don't want to do. And he stops at the word covetousness. And it's the only time in this list that he stops and he feels the need to go into a greater explanation of the severity of this. No other time does he stop and say, wait a minute, I got to explain how serious this is to these people because they're going to have the tendency to skip over this and say, oh, I'll repent if that happens. I'll ask for forgiveness. No big deal. But he's saying, no, no, no. I want you to understand that this is idolatry. 
And for those of us who might not be familiar with that term, idolatry, and they were familiar with this, was to be, uh, have the ultimate expression of unfaithfulness to God. To have idolatry is what kindled the jealousy of God in the Old Testament. Not because he's an angry, jealous God, but because he loves us so much. And there's this covenant that we made with him. And much like a marriage relationship, if my husband cheats on me, you better believe I'm going to be some jealous woman rising up inside of me. And that's the kind of jealous, jealousy that, that, that rises up inside of God when we, when we choose covetousness. Because it's about the covenant. It's about his love. And covetousness, for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with that term, it's kind of like in my stay-at-home mom, you know, cartoon-watching mind, I think of the ugly stepsisters in Cinderella, you know? And so I think it's like envy and jealousy and covetousness. And they're all over here, like, doing their envy thing. You know, they're like the original mean girls. And, and they're, like, over here, and, and, and they're all very related. They're all very intertwined. But this covetousness is really this idea that I want what some, someone else has. I want what they have. Um, but I, I, I'm not happy for them anymore. I now feel contempt in my heart towards them because they have it. Much like jealousy, this sorrow at another person's good. This idea that, you know, I've been waiting and I, I deserve this and I've been waiting for how long to get married and all my friends are getting engaged and I want to be happy for them, but ah, there's this part of me that every time I see that engagement announcement, I can't celebrate anymore. Or maybe for you, it's, it's money or power or Maybe you've been desiring to have a baby for so long, and there's like 50 people at Canvas Church that announced their pregnancy this month, and you're like, great, I've been trying for so long, and I want to be happy for these people, but inside my heart, I, I feel contempt. I, I feel like I, uh, I just can't quite be happy for them. And Paul's saying, this is no little thing that we can skip over. He's saying, it's actually idolatry. And I think most of us in here would say, oh, I don't struggle with idolatry. I don't have any gold statues in my house that I bow down to. There's no Buddhas that I'm, you know, uh, worshiping morning, noon, and night. I don't, idolatry is not my issue. And Paul's saying if you're if allowed covetous, not to be tempted, I understand we're all tempted, but to just say, you know what, covetous, go ahead, get comfortable right here in my heart. You stay a while. To have this covetous, covetousness abide in our hearts, he's saying, it's actually idolatry. And I really wanted an encouraging word for you this morning, because I only get to speak like once a year, and I wanted you all to like me. And then God gave me this really, really challenging word. But I think about the Israelites in the Old Testament, and Moses was taken a while on the mountain. You all know the story. And he was taken a while up there, and so they decided, you know, the presence of God, Moses, they're taking too long, and we need a God here to serve. And so what they did is they took their gold earrings, and they melted them down, and they made a golden calf out of them. And they said, this is going to be our God. And they fell into idolatry, and they began to worship this pile of earrings in the shape of a cow. And I think all of us would say, that's absolutely ridiculous. How would anyone worship a pile of earrings in the shape of a cow. And that's what they replaced their, their king of kings and their lord of lords with. And they fell into idolatry. But what about us this morning? We can point the finger at the Israelites and say they look pretty ludicrous. But Paul's saying, 
but if we have allowed this covetousness to stay in our hearts. And I'm saying we, because I was the first one to get the spiritual spanking in this message, the whack from the Lord. Has anybody ever gotten just disciplined? But as I'm reading this and as I'm studying it, uh, you know, God's pointing his finger on my heart too. Have, have any of you seen the Bible, the series, the Bible, I think on a &E or History Channel or something? Really good, really well done. And one of the things I thought they did really well was they um, showed the, the envy and the covetousness of the religious leaders of that time and really well. Because I think sometimes we read that they were envious and that they coveted, but I don't think it really, you know, drives the point home. And so the imagery and the, the, the scene that they created in this, uh, in this little movie um, was that the religious leader was teaching in uh, the temple courts outside, and he had his congregation outside, and, uh, and he's sharing this message, and the word, it kind of starts spreading around that Jesus is good. Jesus is in the city. And so they're all talking amongst each other, and Jesus is here. And one by one, they slowly get up, and they walk out of the congregation. They walk out of the service because Jesus is in the city, and they want to follow him. And so they go after him, and you can see just the envy and the covetousness rise up uh, inside of this of re of religious leader. And that's at the point where he begins to conspire with the other religious leader and say, okay, He's a threat to our ministry. He's a threat to our influence. He's taken away my power, and we need to take him down. And how can we partner with Judas, partner with, and, and how can we take him down and drive him to the cross? And so, to me, I was angry. I was like, when I was watching that, I was like, oh my God, no, that's my king, that's my savior. I'm so mad. I'm like, they are so evil. They're so prideful. They're so envious. Uh, but isn't it fun when the Holy Spirit just says, what about you? Because we're partnering with the very enemy that was responsible for driving our Savior to the cross when we covet. This is no little thing. And I understand that some of us might not have idols in our hearts that we're bowing, or in our homes that we're bowing down to. But I think we need to make sure that we don't have any idols in our hearts. Because although we're not going to go and make some statues out of gold, what about what's in here? And I think that what causes us to covet is just a good indication that there might be a little idol there. That we might need to just say, God, tear that idol down. Because I don't want any other gods in my heart that I'm worshiping, but I want to be able to worship you freely. And to be able to come up here in the altar and be able to say, I am content in the Lord. I'm content with what he's given me, and I have an attitude of thankfulness for all that he's done for me. Amen? Uh, now we get into the exciting part. It's a little more encouraging than that challenging, uh, challenging word about covetousness. And this is the idea that we have a new self. That we don't have to be that same person anymore. Or we don't have to be that covetous person anymore. We don't have to be that sexually immoral person. All those behaviors that we associated with the old self. This is the exciting part. Is that we get to be a new creation in Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones. This is your identity now. You're chosen. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do it everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In the, in the NIV version, instead of saying put on, it says clothe yourselves. So in both translations, it's as if it's giving us this new wardrobe. So not only do we have this new identity as Christ followers, we've been translated into the kingdom of God, just like Joe talked about a couple weeks ago, but we now have a, a new wardrobe that we get to put on. We don't have to have those old behaviors, old habits, wearing those old ragged riches or ragged uh, clothes around, but we get a new wardrobe and a wardrobe that is full of meekness and kindness and patience and love and all of these things that he offers to us. And that is exciting, isn't it? We don't have to be the same person anymore. And I think it's powerful at times when we're tempted to fall into some of these old habits and these old ways. To not just say, oh no, I've come so far, you know, why would I go back? You know, no, I don't really want to do that enemy, no. But to declare our identity is a powerful thing. Because all those other things take care of themselves. When we begin to declare, I don't need to covet. I don't need to be a sexually immoral. I don't need to be greedy. I'm not that old person anymore. I am a new man or a new woman in Christ. I have a new identity. I'm a new creation. And therefore, those things are in my past. They're behind me. And I'm not that person anymore. And it gives us that authority to stand up underneath that temptation. A greater authority than just saying, I don't do that anymore. No, 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 I'm a new creation. That's why I don't do that anymore, because I'm a new woman. I've been given a new identity. And I think some of us, maybe you say, oh, I've been a Christian all my life, or I've never had that transforming moment. But I guarantee there's moments when you felt like you needed a second chance, when you felt like you just needed that fresh redemption and that fresh fire from the Lord. And we all go through dry seasons. And my husband at one point in time was fasting, and he was fasting and praying. And if you really want to increase your spiritual sensitivity, go on a fast and seek the Lord because it really, really works. But he was fasting and he just said, you know, God, I want to go deeper with you. I want to go further with you. Take me deeper. And the Lord spoke to him, spoke to his heart, said, I'm not going to take you any deeper until you confess. Remember that thing that you did years back that you never told your wife about? Remember that? Remember that sin that you fell into? You never told your wife about it. And you need to go and you need to confess. And so he's like, oh, that can't be God, no. And then he goes back the next day and prays again, God, take me deeper, take me deeper. But the Bible says that whoever conceals his sin does not prosper. So he wanted to prosper really bad with God. But God said, no, 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 just, just expose it, just be transparent. And so on the other end, uh, you know, I'm praying as well. And have, has God ever spoken to you in themes? It's like at church there's this scripture, and then you hear it on the radio. And it's like in my child's program from school. I mean, it's everywhere. The whole, uh, the whole week for me, this scripture in verse 12, uh, or in verse 13, that says that I'm to forgive as the Lord has forgiven me. Everywhere I turned. And so finally I was like, okay, God. It was preached at the message on Sunday, and this is the icing on the cake of the whole week. And I said, God, I don't feel like I have anyone in my heart that I haven't forgiven. And he said, you're going to have someone to forgive. I'm like, that's fun. I get to exercise forgiveness. Yay. And so that night, my husband came to me with tears down in face, and he says, it's not that I struggle with this now, but I want to be a new man. 
I want to be a man who's transparent with my wife. I want to be a man who confesses when God calls me to confess and repents when God calls me to repent. I want to go deeper with the Lord. This is my obstacle. Now, would you please forgive me? And of course, I need to forgive as the Lord has forgiven me. And that's the only word that's on the tip of my tongue and only word that I've been meditating on all week long that God had prepared me for that moment where I was going to have to forgive. Because if anybody's experienced the transforming power of Christ, I have. And to deny him that, that mercy and that grace, to deny myself that too. We can't be so gracious with ourselves to say, I deserve transformation. I deserve a second chance. But not extend that to the other people in our life who need forgiveness. So, on a birthday anniversary, I don't know what came up after that, but... um, I went to buy a new outfit for my husband, and I am a very good bargain shopper, and I like coupons, and so an outfit turned into a bit of a wardrobe um, without breaking the budget. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I hung the outfit up for him in his closet, and I put a sign next to it that said, a new wardrobe for a new man, because I want him to know that I know what it's like to be a new woman. And I don't have to hold those past things against him because I know that I'm not the old Melissa. And he's not the old Brandon. And you're not the old Caleb. And you're not the old Elena. And you're not the old Lindsay. And I can't see all your faces because the lights are in mine. But we're not the old, old people anymore. And to extend that same grace to each other. To say, it's not that you've had it perfect. It's not that I still don't struggle to forgive you sometimes. But when I look in the word of God, I see that it says that we're new creations. It see that, I see that it reads that you're a new man and that I'm a new woman. And that God is not just a God of second chances, but he's a God of third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and sixth chances. He's a God that is so good to us and he's so merciful and gracious with us, isn't he? Has anybody else experienced that grace in their life? And then all of those things, he said, above all these other things, all these clothes, this new wardrobe that you've been given, there's one thing that is above them all, and that's love. And he's saying, this love binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the most essential part of your wardrobe, is what he's saying. This is like your undergarment, okay? Love is like your skibbies, okay? I said skibbies in church, okay? But it's like you don't leave home without your skibbies, right? You don't leave home without love. You don't leave. And then if you do, you don't tell anybody about it. You don't talk about that. That's embarrassing. You should be ashamed of yourself. You need to do your laundry more often, right? He's saying if you leave your home and you you haven't put on your love, that love undergarment, that essential ingredient to live this Christian life, if you don't have that love on, you should be ashamed of yourself. That's the essential you don't leave home without it ingredient to this this Christian wardrobe that we've been given. Amen? Now he goes into, okay, we've, we've, we've gotten rid of this old self. We're a new creation. We're a new man. We're a new woman. What does that look like in the household? And so he goes into verse 18. He talks about wives and husbands. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And he continues to speak in every single role that whatever we do, we do that as unto the Lord. And one of the things 
that I, I thought was uh, interesting is, um, is that seven times in these nine verses, he goes back to in the Lord or for the Lord, making sure that we're not doing this because, uh, you know, I just, this is what I'm supposed to do. It's out of obligation, but we do this as unto the Lord. This is the way we treat each other because we're doing it for the Lord. And so a wife submitting to her husband, I know we, we don't like that word, um, but, but here's the thing. I'm a strong woman of God, right? You can tell that, right? Am I a strong woman of God? Thank you. Okay. Hopefully, um, he would agree with me on that. But I, I can go into the playroom, and, and, and I pray in the playroom, and I kick some devil booty, okay? I do. I do. And I, and I get out my, my sword, my word of God, and, and, and I fight in prayer. But submitting to my husband does not make me a weaker woman of God. It makes me a stronger one. It makes me a stronger one. Because the Lord has given him, the leader of our home, this anointing to be the leader of our family. And he has that anointing. And I've had moments in the beginning of our marriage where I felt stressed and anxious and I was tired and I was overworked. And and I prayed to the Lord once and I said, why am I feeling this way? And he said, because you're trying to carry a burden that isn't yours to carry. That burden is for my husband, and for him it's light and it's easy and it's what he's meant to carry. But for me to try to step in and be the leader of the family, oh, that was a heavy load to carry. That was a heavy load. And so submitting to him doesn't make me a weaker woman of God, it makes me a stronger woman, amen? A husband and your love for the wife uh, will, will flow out of your love for the Lord. And it addresses not to be harsh with them, but to love them. You get your, your skibbies on, right? Your love skibbies? It's going to catch on, okay? It's going to catch on. Just go with it. Um, but the best way for you to love your wife the way that she needs you to is to cultivate that love relationship with the Lord. Out of that will flow your, your love for your wife. And parents... This provoking thing. I didn't quite know what that looked like until I did it once. I was super convicted. But my son, he's now turning five. Um, him and Katie share the same birthday. And, uh, and he's turning five. But when he was about two and a half, I noticed that he really took to rock climbing, like nothing I've ever seen. And there were kids that were two, three times his age that were trying to scale the wall, and they couldn't quite get there. And so we threw him for his third birthday. Some of you were there. We threw him this rock climbing party, and yeah, he was just great at it. And, and I just experienced, you know, that proud parent, like, that's my son. And uh, the instructors, their jaws were just dropped, and they were like, I can't believe he's doing those moves. Most adults can't do those things. And I was just so proud. And so every time that we'd fill up his reward chart, he would want to go rock climbing climbing again. And so we'd take him rock climbing. And over time, we went, and his sister, uh, who's older than him, usually was the one who'd stop, like, midway, and she'd get a little scared. And he would always go to the top, and he was always just, like, you know, fearless. But then there came this time where it switched, and he began to get fearful, and he was halfway up, and he, he started crying, and he didn't want to go up anymore. And then Hannah was the one who was going to the top, and, and then I had this moment of oh, no, you can do this, come on. And, and, and I, I, I don't know that I, can, I didn't come right out and say, why can't you be more like your sister? But, you know, we always hate those parents that say those things. Like, those are really bad parents. But essentially, whatever I said was very similar. It was just like, come on, now your sister's the one who's going to the top, and you're, you know, you're getting scared, and you're getting fearful. And, um, and he was sitting down on the bench, and I'll never forget this moment. And he's maybe, like, almost four years old at this time. And he looks at me, and he goes, Mommy, 
Can you please not say those things again? And I cried the whole ride home. I just cried and cried and cried. And I, how many of you ever had that moment where you, the ugliness of your sin is just staring right back at you? The ugliness of your pride is just staring back at you. And I provoked him. And I got down on my knees and I said, will you please forgive me? And in, in lighter terms, I asked that he would forgive me for provoking him and discouraging him. And I'll never forget the sting. And the Holy Spirit was real hard on me on that because I could see myself being one of those moms on the sidelines one day, you know, like the, come on, ref, like, what are you doing? And uh, I feel like God was just like, okay, I'm going to give you one of those spiritual spankings right now. And you're going to remember the sting. You remember how bad you felt. And then that way you'll never do it again. And that way you'll remember the sting of that. And when you're tempted to provoke your child, you check yourself first and say, uh-uh, I remember what that felt like. And I'm not going to go there again. And for those of you who are parents in the room, we cannot let our pride cause us to provoke. We need to be their biggest encouragers and biggest supporters and biggest cheerleaders, right? They need that in this day and age to have their parents rally behind them and say, if you don't want to do rock climbing anymore, that's fine. Let's do something else. Let's find out what it is that you're going you're gonna to thrive in. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to share those, those weak points with you this morning. I don't like necessarily being this transparent, but I got to say what the Lord uh, tells me to say. And I'm hoping that it will be an encouragement to some of you who have maybe experienced those moments where the Lord just dealt with you and just showed you the pride in your heart. Um, but I'm thankful that going back to being a new creation that God gives me a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. And he continues this process of sanctification in me and continues to transform me and make me more like him. Paul gives some final instructions in, in chapter 4. And the second half of chapter 4 is just him giving thanks. And he uh, begins to um, instruct them to remain steadfast in prayer and being watchful with thanksgiving, going back to this contentment and this thanksgiving. And he's saying, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on which of I am in prison. And then he exhorts them to walk in wisdom towards outsiders and make the best use of time. And I think over this series, we all have realized that he's in prison when he's writing this, and yet he's still praying for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And he's still saying, and I'm praying for you, that you would walk in wisdom, and that you would continue to share the love of Christ with others. And he's saying, it's not enough that we've been made new, that we've been given this new identity, that we're new creations in Christ, but we have to extend that invitation to others, just like someone extended it to Katie, and just like someone extended it to me. Are you living your life in such a way where people would look at you like I looked at Brandon and say, I don't know what he has, but I want that. I want that. I want that joy. I want that contentment and that peace. And where everybody else in the world might be struggling with this covetousness and this, this desire to get ahead and this rat race and this keeping up with the Joneses, I don't know what it is about this guy. He's so content and he's so thankful. I think sometimes we can look at each other in this room, and I've gotten comments too, like, ah, oh, you must be so perfect. You look like it's a perfect marriage. You guys worship so free. And 
been a long journey. Look, our marriage is stronger than it ever has been, don't get me wrong, and I, I, I love my life, but we can never assume that. I think about Maria. I don't think Maria ever not doesn't have a smile on her face, and same with Johnny up here in the front. I don't think I've ever seen them without a smile on their face. And you would never know as you look at them raising their hands in worship, right? That she's had her neck cut open of cancer taken out multiple times. You would never know because of the smile that she has on her face and the attitude of absolute thankfulness and gratitude to God. She's up here in the front raising her hands because she's just thankful to be alive. And let's not project that on one another that we have to be perfect, but man, I'm just grateful to be alive. You all know my story. I think it's a miracle that I'm not like living under a bridge right now. So if I lift my hands in worship, it's not to make anyone feel like you're less holy than me. I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful that I'm not living under that bridge, that God did bless me with a great family. Then I get to come into the house of God freely every Sunday morning. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.